0: Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. You
1: guys can be seated. Beloved, there's my opinion, there's your opinion, and then there's the very word of God which Blair just read to us. We should ask that he would teach us. Pray with me. Father, Son and Spirit, it's an unbelievable privilege to hear your word that you would That you would want to know us. That you would want us to know you. That you would make a way for us through Jesus Christ to call you father, brother. Thank you for your word. Even when it says things that are hard to hear. We pray that you would give us ears this morning to hear your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning again. My name is Jeff Wilkins, and I'm one of the pastors here along with Mitchell Carter. And if you're visiting with us, we are really thankful uh, that you're with us today. Uh, We are working our way through what some have called a pastoral sermonic letter. The letter of Hebrews. We don't know a whole lot about the person who wrote the letter or the people who heard the letter. We don't know their names. We don't even know where uh, they live. But what we do know is this, that this pastor loves his congregation. He loves his congregation and he is deeply concerned for his congregation. He's concerned for them Because they're beginning to waver. They're beginning to sort of waffle in their faith. For a number of reasons, some of which we see in verses 32 and 33, some people in this congregation are seriously considering walking away or at least walking back their faith in Jesus Christ. Some people, they're afraid that they're going to suffer persecution. There was persecution in the past and it looks like there might be persecution in the future. Some people are afraid of losing face with family and friends, co-workers and neighbors. Some people are discouraged. Things just don't seem to be working the way you would expect. Some people have have stalled out in their faith Some people are bored. Some people are are beginning to ask the question, if Jesus really is who he said he is, if he is king, if he is ruling and reigning over all of creation, why is my life so hard? They're struggling, like I would expect many of us. The overarching message the message that we hear over and over and over in this letter is don't give up. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't get comfortable with your complacency. Don't give in to apathy. Don't drift away, but instead, press on. Persevere. Endure. That's the message of Hebrews. Now, this morning we come to a, a place in the text that is a, uh, I, I guess what you would call it is a, is a transition point. For 10 chapters, the author has been laying out in great detail the fact that, that Jesus is better than Everything. He is better than the prophets of old. He is better than Moses. He is is a better high priest. He he gives a better rest. He, what? He he makes a better sacrifice. He he administers a better covenant. And and what, what the author wants for us is that that would compel us forward. That that knowledge of who Jesus is would enable us to press on to the end. And of course, it, it begs the question, how does it do that? I mean, how, how, how do we do this? How do we endure? How, how do we persevere? How do we press on? How do we, how do we hold on? Well, that's the question that the author is beginning to answer starting in our passage and actually walking all the way to the end of this letter. We've had this, this sort of this deep, rich, theological, doctrinally dense stuff. And now he's beginning to unpack the so what question. What does it matter? Like, I, like how is this supposed to affect my life? And in our passage, he introduces that application. And it he, and he gives us... Three things to think about. I forgot to put an outline in your uh, bulletin, so we're gonna have it up here. And the three points, just so you know, up front are the author gives us gospel directions, the author gives us a gospel warning, and the author gives us gospel encouragement. So let's think about that first point, gospel directions. The author gives us gospel directions. In fact, in verses 21 to 25, the author gives us three gospel directions. And the three gospel directions can be summed up with three words. Faith, hope, and love. Direction number one, look at verse 22. The author writes, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What the author is telling us is that because of Jesus, We now have the full assurance of faith. But faith in what? In his book, After You Believe, N.T. Wright defines faith like this. He says, as faith is the unsettled, unwavering trust in the one true God whom we have come to know in Jesus Christ. What have we come to know about the one true God in Jesus Christ. Well, the author sums up what we've come to know in verses 19 to 21. He says that Jesus is our great high priest who is also our perfect sacrifice That Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, that he poured out his blood, that he was nailed to a cross so that we, with our spiritually skinned knees and bruised elbows, might have unfettered access to God. What the author is telling us is that through the blood of Jesus, through his high priestly ministry, We now have the full assurance of faith that our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west, that our sins have been thrown into the sea and that they will never be dredged up again. Or as the author puts it in verse 22, that our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. What the author wants us to know and believe is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means is this. It means that we can draw near. Now, what does it mean to draw near? Well, in the context of our passage, to draw near means to worship To draw near means to taste and see that God is good. To draw near is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why is the author's first direction for us to worship? Well, because worship is both the fire and the fruit of faith. Worship of the living God reorders the loves of our hearts. Worship before the throne of grace recalibrates our hearts. Worship remagnetizes our hearts. And the author of Hebrews is saying that if we're going to endure to the end, we need to stoke the fires of faith in our hearts and in our lives through worship, through public worship and private worship. Worship by yourself and worship with other people. But here's the question what does worship have to do with endurance? Like, why is worship important for endurance? Well, think about this the Apostle Paul is sitting in a prison cell, he is literally chained to a Roman guard things are not going well he actually doesn't know if he is going to live or die and yet he writes these words these words that are astounding he says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain can you say that the apostle Paul he he doesn't have a death wish he is not mentally imbalanced. Rather, he has tasted and seen the Lord. He has gazed upon his beauty. And, and his, his life has been transformed. That, that is the fruit of worship. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That, it, it's, it's a life of fearlessness. Can you imagine what it would be like to walk through life unafraid? I would love to be able to walk up here on stage and have no fear. That is a life of faith. That is, this is a life, this is what worship does. There's, there's fearlessness, there's freedom. This is the faith that will see you through to the end. Direction one for us is, is to cultivate a full assurance of faith through worship. Direction number two, look at verse verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. What what is hope? It's it's not what we typically think, it's not just wishful thinking. In, In Scripture, it's, it's, it's certainty. N.T. Wright, again, to quote N.T. Wright, he says, hope is the settled, unwavering confidence that God will not leave us or forsake us, but will always have more in store for us than we could think or ask. And here's the thing. Hope presupposes something, doesn't it? It presupposes that our salvation has not yet fully been realized the best is yet to come and what that means is that if faith leads to worship hope calls us to wait and that's incredibly important to know because we live in this valley between two peaks two mountains on the one hand We have a mountain that represents the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And on the other hand, we have another mountain. A mountain that represents the return of Jesus when he will come and he will make all things new. When we will see him face to face and we will finally and fully be freed from the consequences of sin. When we will finally and fully be free, we will be free to be what we were created to be. But right now, we live in the valley. And living in the valley can be hard, can't it? You know it can be hard. We see the brokenness and the pain and the sadness and the hurt and the suffering and the oppression. We see wrong seemingly triumphing over what is right. And there's death all around. Living in the valley is hard. Living in the valley is hard because if we're honest, we see our brokenness. We see our sin. We see, we, 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 we feel pain. We, we see the suffering that we experience and the suffering that we inflict on other people. We see sin. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Do you, do you ever feel like that? That is life in the valley. No doubt, like many of us in this room this morning, that's how at least some people who first read this letter felt. And here's the thing, the author wants to encourage them and he wants to encourage us. Look at what he says at the end of verse 23. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. What is your source of hope as you walk through the valley? What is the confession of your hope? The author of Hebrews, he's saying hey, it's not you. It's not your strength, it's not your faithfulness, it's not how hard you try, it's not your moral performance. It's not your strength of faith. Rather, it is the faithfulness of God. What the author is saying here is that we will persevere to the end not because of our power, not because of our efforts, but because God keeps us and God keeps his promises. God does not abandon his children. God has proven faithful to his promises throughout scripture. Jesus affirmed the Father. Father's faithfulness in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In John 10, Jesus says that no one comes, no one who comes to me can ever be snatched away from my hand. This is our hope as we walk through the valley. And our direction is to wait. To wait with patience, and to wait with confidence. No one put it better than Martin Luther when he penned a hymn based on Psalm 130. He said this, he said, "'Therefore my trust is in the Lord "'and not in mine own merit.'" On him my soul shall rest. His word upholds my fainting spirit. His promised mercy is my fort, my comfort and my sweet support. And do you remember the refrain? I wait for it with patience. I wait for it with patience. That's the second direction. Direction one, cultivate a faith that is fired by and bears the fruit of worship. Direction number two, wait with a certain hope that, that looks with confidence and patience to the God of promise. And then there's a third direction. Look at verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of somebody encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. How are you going to persevere to the end? How are you gonna make it through the valley? If faith calls us to worship and hope calls us to wait, then love calls us to one another. Here's what the author is saying. If we want to persevere to the end, we need one another. We aren't going to make it by ourselves. And that makes sense if you think about it. How does, how does how are, how are, how is the church, how are Christians described what are the images that we see over and over in the Bible? Well, we see the image of the body of Christ, right? We see the bride of Christ. We see the household of God. We see the holy temple to the Lord, a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. We're almost never referred to individually, but as a body what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we cannot and we will not have confidence in the full assurance of faith apart from the church. I remember as a campus minister, I would meet with students and ask them how they were doing. And, and oftentimes a student would say, man, I'm just, I'm just, not, I'm just, not, doing, I'm just not doing really great. I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel close to the Lord, whatever. And one of the first questions I'd always ask is, have you found a body to plug into Have you found the church? Have you, are, 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 you, are you taking advantage of the means of grace that God has given us where he's promised to meet us? Quite often, the answer was no. It's because you can't have confidence. You, you won't have the full assurance of faith without the body of Christ. And more importantly, we cannot and we will not endure to the end without the body of Christ. Beloved, God in his generosity and his grace has given us each other to encourage one another, to stir up one another. I need you to speak into my life. When you see me walking away, when you see me wandering, when you see me wavering, I need you to call me out and call me back. When you see me doubting, I need you to encourage me. God is... Gifted you and he's, he has gifted me and he's gifted us with different gifts for each other. We need one another and we will not make it to the end without one another. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that if we're going to persevere to the end, we must be connected to one another like a hand is to an arm. But the author of Hebrews is, yeah, that we, that we need to worship together here and in our homes. We need to pray with and for one another. We need to do life together. We need to encourage one another. We need to hold one another accountable. And that all sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, we're all about community. We love community. But community's hard. It, it just is. Because it's made up of people like us who are selfish sinners I want your friendship. I don't want you to call me out. I need you to call me out. How how will you endure to the end? How will I endure to the end? It is as together we look away from ourselves and look to God in the face of Jesus, calling each other to faith in the finished work of Christ, reminding each other of our hope in the God of promise. The author of Hebrews wants to encourage you, folks. He wants you to press on, to persevere, to endure to the end. And at least in my opinion, what he said so far is pretty encouraging. Um, it's, it's even helpful, kind of practical. Something that you don't always find when you read your Bible. But then we come to verses 26 to 31 which is nothing less than a gospel warning. You've got, you've got to ask two questions when you think about these verses. Question one, what in the world is the author talking about? I mean, what does it mean if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a remaining sacrifice for sins, but a fearful judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries? are terrifying words. What do they mean? What's he talking about? Some some of us struggle with the same sin over and over and over and over again. And this, this warning makes you wonder, doesn't it? Have... Have I moved outside of the reach of God's grace? Who among us can say, I've never knowingly sinned? I can't. These words, they're hard to wrap your mind around. We're not the first people to struggle with these words. In fact, in the early church, some people put off being baptized until right before they died because they believed that what these words meant was that there was no forgiveness for sins committed once a person was baptized. So they would wait till they were just about to die and then they would get baptized. But I I think they were wrong. Think, Think for a minute about our assurance of pardon. First John chapter one, particularly verses eight and nine. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And then John goes on to say that he's not writing this just so that we can go on sinning like it's no big deal. But he says this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, what does that mean? Well, there's a, there's a principle of interpretation that I think is very helpful here, and that is this. Scripture interprets Scripture, and the clearer passages interpret the less clear passages. The clearer passages interpret the, 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 the more difficult passage. And John is very, very clear. If we say we have not sinned, we, we make God out to be a liar, So what is the author of Hebrews talking about? What the author of Hebrews is is talking about is not those of you who struggle with sin. The very fact that you struggle with sin rather than being content in your sin or complacent about your sin is evidence of the presence and power of the redeeming grace of God in your life. There are those of you who have tender consciences and you're tormented by by sin. Why why do I keep doing this? Beloved, that's a sign that God is at work. What the author of Hebrews is talking about are people who ultimately walk away from Jesus, who abandon their faith. The, The author of Hebrews is talking about apostasy, The willful rejection of God under conditions of full exposure to the light, the calculated, persistent renunciation of the truth, the intentional, settled rejection of God's grace. That's what the author is getting at in verse 29, the trampling underfoot the son of God, the profaning of the blood of the covenant, the outraging of the spirit of grace. That is apostasy. He's talking about apostasy. Why is the author of Hebrews talking about apostasy? This is where it gets a little unnerving. It's because the author knows that people don't just wake up one morning and think, I don't believe this anymore. I believed it yesterday, but I, I, I don't believe it today. Rather, the image that the author uses in chapter two, you remember, is the image of drift. What is it? What does that mean? Well, in the Screwtape Letters, C.S., by C.S. Lewis, uh, the fi- uh, fictional senior demon Screwtape writes a letter to his protege, a younger demon by the name of Wormwood. And, and he describes for Wormwood this thing that the author of Hebrews calls drift, this, this thing that the author of Hebrews is concerned about. Screwtape says, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man or the woman away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle one, soft, soft, Soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without millstones, without signposts. It's pretty sobering. The author of Hebrews knows that one of two things are are happening to you this morning as, as, as we gather together. Your heart is either being hardened or your heart is being softened, but it is not staying the same. If we play with sin... If we become settled, even content with our apathy, if we neglect to meet together, we are in great danger of ultimately walking away. And you say, oh, Jeff, I'll repent tomorrow. If that's what you're thinking, the question I want to ask you is, what makes you think you're going to repent tomorrow? You are falling away from the living God. Your heart is being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The author of Hebrews says in chapter three that we should exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Beloved, that's what the author of Hebrews is doing in this verse, these verses and that is what I'm trying to do this morning. Yes, I want to encourage you but I also must warn you, if you are playing church, if you are just going through the motions, if you were just checking the box, your heart is being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And what the author of Hebrews would say to you and what I am saying to you is repent. Repent, return to Jesus. He didn't come for the righteous, he came for sinners. Don't trample underfoot the son of God. Don't profane the blood of the covenant. Don't outrage the spirit of grace. Because if you walk away from Jesus, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Those words... They're hard and they're sobering. But they are words of love. They are words of love. The author loves his readers. I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you this. They are words of love the author begins applying everything that he said in this letter by giving us three directions and then he moves on to give us this gospel warning but he doesn't want to leave us with a sword hanging over our heads because he knows that while fear has its place in alerting us to the deceitfulness of sin and spotlighting its danger it is god's kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his initiating love that draws us to himself in repentance and faith. And so he concludes with gospel encouragement. In verses 32 through 36, the author says to his readers and he says to us, look at your life. And particularly, look back over your life as a follower of Christ. Think back to those times in your life when you did things that you know you would have never done if the Spirit of God weren't at work in your hearts and your life. I, I, there's, one, there's one moment, I mean, there's lots of moments, I hope, but there's one moment in my life that I can totally remember that. I'm in my fifth year of seminary at Westminster Seminary. Kathy's about nine months pregnant and I find out that they're offering a new major, a new Master's of Divinity. It was gonna be a Master's of Divinity in counseling and it would only take another year. So I go to Kathy and I say to Kathy, hey Kathy, let's let's stick around for a sixth year and let me do this Master's of Divinity in counseling. And she begins to sort of vibrate. You know? Uh. Now normally what I would do is I would say, Kathy, you, you're cramping my ministry style. Like, dude, I'm way more spiritual than Come on, I mean, this is, this is for the good of the church. This is, this is, this is my calling. You're, you're getting in the way of ministry. That's what I would normally do. But God, by his grace, I don't know how it happened. Well, God, by his grace, she, she starts vibrating, and I just go, Okay. It seems like a ridiculous example, but it is. It, I, I'm telling you, to me, that's proof that God is at work in my life. Where, where, is, where, where do you see the work of God in your life? You see, when the author of, of Hebrews tells us to look back over our lives, he's actually not wanting us to see ourselves, he's wanting us to see where God has put his fingers on us, where God has worked in our lives. Because, because he knows we will be encouraged, or at least he, 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 he wants us to be encouraged. How, how is that encouraging to look back? How is it encouraging for me to look back and, and think about that conversation with Kathy at seminary? Well, it's because I know from what the Bible teaches that God never starts something that he doesn't finish. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God has started a work in you, beloved he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will complete the good work that he has begun in you. It is because of God's faithfulness to complete what he has begun that the author of Hebrews can say in verse 39, we are, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Gospel directions, gospel warning, gospel encouragement. My guess would be that some of you Might be thinking, but Jeff, I I don't see any fingerprints. I I don't see the fingerprints of God in my life. Friend, what I would say to you is that Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. Hear and respond to his invitation to you. Beautifully expressed In the words of William Gadsby, come just as thou art with thy woe. Fall down at the feet of the lamb. He will not, he cannot say go, but surely will take out thy stain. A fountain is opened for sin and thousands its virtues have proved. He'll take thee and plunge thee therein and wash thee from filth in his blood. It's an invitation. Wherever you are today, he calls you to himself. He says, turn back. Come to me and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your faithfulness. That that you will complete the good work that you've begun in us. We love you, and we want to love you more. We believe, help us overcome our unbelief. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.